to the book of Job. Would you do that today, the book of Job? We've entitled our series, if you're new to our church, in the last uh, couple of weeks here, we've been dealing with this series called Once Upon a Time in the Land of Us. Had a pastor friend call me last night. He said, he said, man, he said, don't you know it's the land of Oz? What are you talking about? I said, no. So you need to read your Bible. It's the land of us. It's an interesting uh, book. It, it sort of rings a little like a fairy tale and that's where we took the title from. Uh, as you begin the, the book, there was a man from the land of us and then at the end of the book we find that God blesses Job and his family and they all live happily ever after. But man what a rough time in between. Would you agree? We dealt a little bit with that last week in chapter 1 as we saw uh, Satan attack his finances and he attacked his family. And now today we're going to look at the attack of the flesh. And I've entitled this sermon, this uh, third lesson, simply hold on. Hold on. You ever feel like, uh, I found this little picture I thought was kind of interesting of the frog just barely holding on. You ever feel like that sometimes? I mean just, you're doing everything you can do to hang on. And just survive, it seems. We switch into that mode sometimes in our life. And as I was looking at this and thinking about this and praying over this, what, what I felt like the Lord showed me was, there are some things you can do while you're holding on. And, and often we think, look, all I can do is hold on. But there's more to it than that. There's something else happening while you're holding on. And so we're going to talk about those things. And in the course of our lesson today, we're going to look at four accomplishments or four tasks that we can do while we're holding on. So let's begin by just doing a little bit of reading. And then we'll uh, pause a moment and ask God's blessings on the text. So let's pray uh, right after we do a little reading. Let's, let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. Good. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Now, I might want to point out to you that this reads a little different than the first chapter, because the Bible says in the first chapter that uh, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. But now it says he came to present himself before the Lord. Once again, we're reminded, if I could say this in the way of introduction, we're reminded that, that the devil and all of his demons, all of the fallen angels, they are all subject to being held accountable by God. Can I get an amen or an aha? Uh -huh? So the Bible says he came also to present himself, verse 3. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Now let me pause just a moment here. The similarity between this event and what we read earlier, I mean, it's, it's very clear uh, how closely uh, these, uh, uh, these, uh, uh, this account is to each other from chapter 1 to this one. But now we find something different. Earlier, it was God who drew Satan's attention to Job, and he referred to all of those characteristics we studied in a previous lesson. Uh, but here we find something different. After he says this, now he says, and still he holds fast to his integrity. And still he holds fast. It is from this phrase that we get our title today, hold on. 
So he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. You might want to highlight that, underline that. That's an important phrase, without cause. Verse 4, so Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, or yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, Satan believed he could get Job to curse him by touching his finances and his family, but he was unsuccessful in that attempt. Now he says, I can get him to curse you if you touch him physically. Physically. Verse 6, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. And once again, we learn something. We learn that God sets limits on what the devil can get away with. Would you agree with me? He sets limits. As a matter of fact, I got to tell you, this is part of our confusion. Because we know God is able to stop all this stuff. And for him to allow it sometimes is beyond our, our comprehension. We don't know why. And, and I remind you today, I don't think Job ever got an answer to that question of why. I don't think he really ever understood it till he got to be with the Lord eventually. And so you may not get the answer, and that's okay. We're going to talk more about that as we go. Look at verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd which, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. We're going to talk more about this in just a minute. Verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Well, Mrs. Job, she doesn't have the best of reputations in the Bible, does she? Matter of fact, I don't think when, when you do all those lady studies and you talk about Deborah and you talk about uh, all the, the great women of the Bible and even Mary in the New Testament, nobody ever mentions old Mrs. Job. I've never heard a study really on Mrs. Job. There might be a reason. Do, do you still hold fast to your integrity, she said. Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept ad adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. God, thank you for this, uh, this word. God, thank you for your word, for the Bible. Thank you that we can read the account that has been given to us of Job's life, Lord. And there's so many applications. And, and Lord, even now as you move through, that, through this congregation, Lord, there are hearts that are heavy. Maybe many who have been touched physically with ailments and difficulties and painful circumstances. And we read uh, God last week of Job's sorrow emotionally and, and the loss of his finances and family. And then now, God, this, this physical attack that is on his life. And God, I just believe with all my heart there's a reason that you have led us to this text. And there's a reason why you have led these here who are here today. And God, I pray, bless us, Lord, teach us. I pray that you would be our guide, our comforter, our encourager. Lord, there are some who are hurting today and they need your touch. And there are others, Lord, who maybe are headed for some trials and they need this lesson before they ever get there. And so, God, we pray, bless us now, move among us and move in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's jump in with the first, uh, the very first thing we can do while we're holding on. If you want to write it down, exalt God in our suffering. Let's exalt God 
in our suffering. There's an interesting thing I think here that takes place. Matter of fact, uh, we know that uh, it is God who brings up Job again. Verse number three, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now this is after the events we read about before. Satan had attacked the character of Job said before God, God, you, uh, you only have this guy down here praising you because you've been good to him. You start taking away stuff that he has. You start taking away possessions. You let me touch his family. You let me do this and I will get him to curse you. And of course, God said, no, I don't believe he'll do that. You go ahead and you take, take the liberty to do. And so he allowed, he did not assign those tragedies that came and trials that came in Job's life. We called them a trial of your faith and we identified what a trial of faith is in last week's lesson. So I'll not go into that again today. I will tell you that you can catch up on those uh, through our website. You can look at those lessons and you can uh, glean from those things. So we have a trial of faith. This is unlike normal trials, typical trials. You don't have any answer. You don't have any resource. You don't have anything you can fall back on and use as an answer to this question and this problem that you find yourself in. And this is where Job is. But now, afterwards, after that, that horrific thing, we find that it is God who says, have you considered my servant Job? He brings him up. And he talks about this and he says how he has held fast to his integrity. Let me tell you about Job. Let me talk about Job. This, this gives you the impression of a, of a father who brings his son over and he says, let me tell you what he just did. Like a proud dad almost where, where God is pleased and he's talking about how he is pleased. And we think about this and we say, how could he be pleased with all the heartache and the tragedy? He is pleased because Job never cursed him and Job never uh, attributed wrong to God. Instead, Job accepted that God must know things he does not know. And so I think about this and I read in the Bible about how we can please God. Jesus said in John 15 in verse number 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. So you want to bring glory to God, whether it be in your sufferings or, or maybe you're not encountering those trials, uh, still to bear fruit. Now what does it mean to bear fruit? It means to do what is right in the circumstances that you are given. To do what is good. Those things that reflect on Jesus being in your life. Those things that, uh, for, for a, a more modern day phrase, to do the things Jesus would do. What would Jesus do? And so you begin to, to uh, bear fruit in your life. John said it this way in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Most here today who have had the privilege of being a parent would say that, that when you look at your children, especially if they are now mature and grown and have families of their own, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest pleasures in your life is to look at them and know that they're following the Lord and they're doing the things you tried so desperately to teach them to do. And so I say to you that that is, in a sense, what God does with us. He looks at us and he sees how we handle that adversity and he takes great joy and pleasure in the fact that we have, have remained true to him and he receives glory 
out of those circumstances. We know that the devil enters in and out of heaven. We talked about that in a previous verse. We know that he accuses us day and night. And so we know that God now takes great pleasure in what is going on in our life. May I say this to you, that perhaps what we need to do when we find ourselves in suffering is to ask this question of God. God, are you getting glory out of this? Often we ask why. Often we say, God, why are you allowing this into my life? Maybe the question instead of why should be, God, is it working? Is it accomplishing its purpose? Are you getting glory out of this? We can endure those trials and those difficulties so much more if we understand the purpose behind them. And the primary purpose, at least in Job's case, and in most cases ours, is to bring him glory in the life that we live. Daniel chapter 3, we have a, uh, an impressive uh, passage of scripture. You, you know the story, the Hebrew children who would not bow. And, and we read this passage, Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And then we find these words. Words that evade a lot of people in the story. Words that we don't pay a lot of attention to maybe when we are a child. We hear about the three children being thrown, the three uh, men, young men being thrown into the fiery furnace for their testimony. But, but we don't really focus in on these next few words. What are those words? Those words simply are, but if not. They said to the king, king, we, we know God can deliver us from this, but if he chooses not to. We know God is able, but if he chooses not to, then let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. May I say to you that what they're doing in Daniel 3 is virtually the same thing that Job is doing in chapter 1 and 2. And that is he's bringing glory to God in that he knows God is able to deliver him. But if he chooses not to, he's not going to stray from his integrity before God. He's not going to stray from the relationship he has with his God. He brings him glory. It's an interesting story. Of course, they were thrown into the fire, but there was a fourth man walking in the fire. And what a great story that is, how that Jesus shows up and delivers them. And not even the stench of smoke is on. I can't barbecue chicken without smelling like smoke. <laughs> Let alone walking in the fire, man. And they came out, not a hair was singed. It's a remarkable thing. Skin for skin. Satan said. That's an interesting phrase. I have read and studied that phrase a little and some believe that what he's saying is this. Outward for outward. In other words, Satan is trying to say, there's a reason why Job didn't curse you when he lost his finances and he lost his family. It's because those things were outward. So skin for skin. People are willing to trade in some cases outward for outward. But touch him. This is, this is Satan's argument. Touch him, and he will curse you. Do something to him personally, because all that a man has, he will give for his own life. That was Job's argument. Now, we know this is not true, of course. We know that the idea of, of uh, 
people uh, not staying true to God because their life is threatened. Fox's Book of Martyr, Martyrs contains event after event, example after example of people who stood true to their faith in God, lost their lives, but inherited a much greater place. A much greater place. Then notice with me number two in your notes, if you would. The second thing we can do, not only exalt God in our suffering, but number two, exclude guilt from our sorrow. Let me, let me deal with this a little bit as a, as a counselor, as a pastor to you for just a minute. It is, uh, it is understandable if we begin to think that righteous behavior yields prosperity. It stands to reason that the opposite would be true that difficulties and trials, sicknesses, disease, somehow is the result of unrighteous behavior. But I want to share something with you here I think is so very important. We read it, I asked you to highlight it, and that is in God's testimony of Job. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Verse 3 says, to destroy him without cause. It is not uncommon for us to look at our life and say that the problems we are encountering, they are our own fault. It must be because of sin in our life. Now let me just say this to clear the air concerning this. Sin can cause complications and consequences. Let's make no mistake about that. But not every troubling time, not every trial, not every difficulty that we face is a result of sin. Job is the perfect example of this for us to stop and look at. God said it is without cause, meaning no cause of his. It is not without purpose. It has a purpose and the purpose is to bring glory to God, but it is without cause. It is not something that Job has done. Many times we ask ourselves, that question, what have I done? What did I do? What did I do? Now sometimes, as I said, sin can, can do that. You can, uh, you can be foolish uh, with your life. You can do things that later you pay for. And those of us who may have participated in sports at an early age, as you get older, you begin to remember those as you get out of bed in the morning. You don't move like you once moved, and when you move, you groan, and you have pains and muscles and joints that you didn't even know you had, and, and you begin to, and some of you are looking at me like, yeah, I, I can relate to that, I understand that. And, and, and then there are others who maybe do have some complications physically because of being involved in sin. That can do that. I used to have a, a staff member many years ago who uh, used to say, if you're going to be stupid, you better be tough. So if you're going to do some things, you need to be prepared for the consequences of those things. But ultimately, what I'm trying to get across to you is that, that uh, here, Job's wife, which we will talk about in a moment, Job's friends that we will meet next week, th there's so many people in Job's life that are saying to him, the reason you're going through this is because you're not right with God. And so Job, emphatically throughout the book, comes back and says, well, if I'm not right with God, why doesn't he tell me what it is I've done? Because I can't put my thumb on it. I can't figure it out. I don't have an answer for it. It's not always something we've done. It's something God is trying to do. So I'm asking you to remove the guilt. Exclude the guilt. Come to the place in your life where you realize there are three main influencers in our life. There is self, there is Satan, and there is the Savior. 
Self has an appetite of its own. And it will tempt us. The flesh cries out to do that which is wrong. You see this in a little bitty child who, who grabs a toy and says what? Mine. Mine. Maybe the toy is theirs and they won't share it. Maybe it belongs to somebody else. And it, they're claiming it, man. And, and that, that selfish nature, because the flesh cries out for what we want. It has an appetite. And if we start answering that and giving to it what it hungers for, we'll end up making bad decisions and doing the wrong stuff. So be careful. Self can be a part of that. Maybe it wasn't Satan. Maybe it was just the appetite of the flesh. Or maybe it was Satan. Satan can use those things. We know that. And then the Savior comes along. And maybe the Savior is trying to accomplish something in our life. Maybe he's trying to develop us. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But the fact is that sometimes we, we find ourselves going through such difficulties that we become in despair. Despondency sets in. May I say to you, even depression will set in. 18% of the population in America is said to suffer depression every year. During the holiday times, that number increases. And depending on your circumstance, maybe you yourself have encountered that. I read one statistic that even among believers, among Christians, people who, who do uh, attend church even regularly, the number is a little less than that, but it's still around 7% of God's people finding themselves in such despair and despondency. We read in this text that the Bible says he took a pot shirt or a, a shard. Uh, it's a piece of pottery. It's a, a scraping instrument. And as the devil had attacked him with a boil, and one particular writer cited that in the Hebrew, and I don't know any Hebrew. I, I read what others have. I, I took some Greek and uh, I, I didn't take any Hebrew, so you'll forgive me. I have to depend on what others have said. But, but some have said that this is a singular term that's used here for the boils that he had received, meaning this, that his body was one huge inflamed sore from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. It caused him much pain. And the Bible tells us he, we find him scraping himself because he was no doubt itching and providing some form of comfort. This is not sanitary by any means. No one offered any balm. No one offered any aid. There's no salve being offered. This is a poor man who is probably more like Lazarus who sat at the gate of the rich man and the dogs came and licked his sores. This is a man who has lost everything and no one comes to his aid. And the Bible tells us he sits in ashes. That's an interesting question as to what he's talking about. It, it can mean that there were ashes made and dumped on the ground as, as a form of mourning. I happen to believe, though, that earlier that his sheep were, were burned, consumed by fire, and his servants were that were watching, watching over them. And I personally believe he was in that area. And I think he was sitting in the midst of the ashes of all of his goods. And he was in great despair and depression. Read a story early this week about a man who just couldn't take it anymore. His wife uh, took all he could take from his wife and, and uh, he wrote a note, sat down and wrote a note. He said, honey, he said, I just can't take the criticism anymore. And he got a rope out and, and set the note out, went to his bedroom and he hung himself. His wife came and found him just before he had fully uh, been successful and cut the rope down, resuscitated him. And she looked at him and said, honey, uh, that's not how you spell criticism. 
for whatever that's worth. So Job's wife comes on the scene. Somebody thought it was a serious story. I apologize. Job's, Job's wife comes on the scene and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Now some have said that maybe she's being compassionate. I don't really believe that's the case because of the text. I, I don't think that's the case. But now let's keep something in mind. Let's keep in mind that the graves of their 10 children are still fresh. Let's keep in mind that all of those nine stages of, of, uh, uh, of uh, dealing with grief are still going on, not only in Job's life, but in her life as well. Let us understand that when he lost his wealth, she lost hers. And maybe even more significant in her life, she lost the security that most women crave. And so here we find her counsel to him, why don't you just curse God and die. Job's response to her tells me there's something more to this. He, he says, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? What Job seems to be indicating is this. Don't you understand that life, listen, God has never said that life was going to be full of, of nothing but blessings and there would never be anything that we would look at and say this is unfair, this is unjust, that the, the, the storms were not going to come. God has never promised that. Shall we accept only the good and not realize that sometimes bad comes because we live in an unredeemed world? One day we rejoice on the mountaintop for all the blessings God has given and the next day we find ourselves perhaps in despair and being discouraged. But are we able then to say somehow God has a purpose and it doesn't have to do with what I have done as much as it is what he is trying to do. Let me just say this to you before I move on to the third thing. If you fear that sin has been involved somehow in your circumstances, it, it's a simple thing. It sounds so simple I hesitate to even say it to you. Just go to God and ask him to forgive you and then move on. He forgave you of those sins back when he saved your soul as far as heaven was concerned and he'll forgive you as far as fellowship is concerned so just move on and realize that God is a loving God and a compassionate God and our God concept sometimes tells us that when we were children and we misbehaved and we got disciplined for it listen not everything that happens to you is the chastening of the Lord although he does chasten not all of the problems we deal with are from his disciplining us sometimes it's his developing us. Which leads me to the third thing. Not only exalt God in our suffering, exclude guilt from our sorrow, but number three, experience growth in our spirit. Matthew Henry makes an interesting statement about Job's wife. He says, if Satan leaves anything when he has permission to destroy he does so with mischief in mind do you know he probably could have taken Job's wife he took his children but instead he decided to use Job's wife so just because some things have been left in your life listen carefully to what I'm about to say be careful that the devil doesn't turn it into a tool that he can use against you Job's wife would have been much like Michael in David's life. Some of you remember that story. 
One writer said, nothing makes the ungodly so angry as to see the godly under trial not angry. Experience growth in our spirit. I read a story this past week of a man who was sitting on his porch and he noticed a cocoon. And from that cocoon, a butterfly began to emerge and there was a small hole at first in the cocoon and the butterfly began or the caterpillar began to work its way out and, and then stopped periodically when he got so far to rest. And so the man decided that he would help the butterfly. So he went and got a pair of scissors and he came back and carefully clipped the cocoon and soon out came the butterfly, only it was malformed. He had a very large body full of fluid and little tiny wings and it could not fly. Later he began to realize that this butterfly who spent its entire life crawling around instead of flying and eventually died, later he came to realize that it is the struggle out of the cocoon that forces the fluid from the body into the wings and allows a butterfly to fly. I said that to you for this reason. The struggles in our life is what allows us to fly. The struggles in our life is what makes us stronger, that enables us to do the things that God has for us to do. So while we're asking him, God, are you getting glory out of this? Is it working? Am I exalting you? You also need to ask God, are you accomplishing in me what it is you're out to accomplish in me? Is that being done? Isaiah chapter 48 and verse number 10 reads this way, Behold, I have refined you, not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. The Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs it's dealt with and in many other places. You could refine silver by taking it and putting it into the fire and you burn off the dross. And what comes out is a, is a more pure silver. And so what God is saying is I've chosen to refine you, to make you more pure, to make you more like Jesus if you will. But the refining fire that I have chosen is not like the silver being put into the fire. I've chosen affliction. Affliction. There is something about some 35 years of ministry I've noticed as I've dealt with people. You can almost tell people who have dealt with serious trials in their lives. There's a certain spiritual maturity and insight that God has given them. It did not come easily, may I say to you. It was from the struggles that they have been through. Romans chapter 8 and beginning in verse 18 we find some encouragement, I think, in the word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Let me remind you that something about the trial of faith is that it's temporary, that it's seasonal, that it will pass. And even in some of our cases, if it lasts as long as this life lasts, still it will pass. And in heaven, we'll have that no more. Those difficulties and those sufferings, no more. When we talk about the development and the trials that we deal with, my mind goes to the Apostle Paul, who the Bible says he had a, a thorn in the flesh. There's been a lot of speculation as to what that thorn in the flesh was. Uh, some believe that it was uh, epilepsy. 
Others believe it was blindness, something that affected his eyes. There, there are numerous things, but if you just take the word of God literally as to what Paul says it was, we find an interesting thought here. So look with me beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 2. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 2. Paul said this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Let me pause a moment and say to you, this is what Paul is saying. About 14 years ago, something happened. I can't really tell you if it happened physically, if I was raptured up into heaven, or if it happened in a vision where I was sitting with God one day and he took me into this state uh, of, a, of a dream. I can't really tell you. I don't know. God knows, he said. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Now the third heaven is not that there are levels in heaven, but the first heaven is considered the atmosphere in which we breathe. The second heaven would be considered the space where the stars and the planets reside. And the third heaven beyond that where God himself resides. So Paul said, I was caught up and I was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. I find this interesting. In today's world, you, you hear a lot of accounts where someone believes they were taken into heaven. And they'll give you their insight and in what they have to say. Paul said, I was taken into heaven, but I can't tell you anything I heard. They're inexpressible. I can't, I can't convey it to you. It's not lawful for a man to even utter them. Verse 5, he says, of such a one I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Paul... Uh, I believe Paul wrestled, at least early on in his life, with pride. And Paul knew that. On one occasion, Paul said, if a person glories in the flesh, I got plenty to glory about. And he gave a long list of things that he could toot his own horn over, if you will, right? But here in this text, he said, unless people begin to think of me in a, in a manner they should not think of me in, that I'm just a man redeemed by the grace of God, saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and I am nothing. I am unworthy. On one occasion, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. He said, but because I might have this tendency to think of myself above what I ought to think, and others might think of me above what they ought to think, then God has sent to me a thorn in the flesh, and he named it. He said, it's a messenger of Satan that buffets me. The word buffet, of course, just literally means he beats on me, constantly beating on me. Paul was in great pain and discomfort 
regardless of what you actually believe the thorn of the flesh was, let us understand the purpose behind it. May I say to you, it was to produce in him a certain quality of the Christian life that he couldn't have if God didn't send it to him. It was for his good and for his growth. Now, I know many of us would say, well, I wouldn't allow pride to develop. That wouldn't be me. I'm humble. I'll be the first person to tell you. <laughs> Amen. I know some of us may think, well, I don't need this adversity in my life, but God must feel otherwise, and therefore he allowed it and sent it. We're going to come back to the Apostle Paul in just a minute, but before we do, let me go into the fourth thing that we can do while holding on. The fourth thing. Expect grace in our situation. Expect grace in our situation. Now when we think about grace, we think of God's unmerited favor. We think of the fact that God loved us when we were unlovely. That God sent his son to die on the cross for us when there was nothing in us worthy of his doing so. There are five crowns, the Bible tells us, that are given out, that will be given out in heaven. Most of you are familiar with these. We have the soul winner's crown, or it's also called the crown of rejoicing. That is, when you look over and you see people that you've won to the Lord, you receive a crown for that. What a blessing that is. We have the incorruptible crown or the imperishable crown. Paul talked about this in the way of, of running the race that we live and how that they received corruptible crowns. They received uh, green wreaths that would go on their heads, but those wreaths would turn brown and brittle and they would corrupt. And Paul said, we're going to get rewards in heaven that are not like that. Uh, they're eternal. And then there's the crown of glory given to those in leadership that serve faithfully. Then there's the crown of righteousness, which is given to those who just do the right thing and, and, and Although difficult it may be, they live a righteous life and bring glory to God as a result of that. Then the fifth crown is the one I want to focus in on for just a moment with you. It is the crown of life. Who receives the crown of life? The Bible tells us that if you have gone through trials, the trials of your faith, and you have made it through them, that people like Job and people like you, you're going to receive a crown of life. It's designated for those who have had great trials and affliction and have come through them for his honor and his glory. James chapter 1 verse 12 reads this way, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. So let's get back to this thought of the grace of God. God knows what's happening in our life. He's not alienated from us. He's not distant. He knows what's going on. And if you're going through those trials and those difficulties, I think one of the reasons why God said this about the crown of life was to encourage you to know that later, one day, you're going to receive something as a result of that and God is going to bless you. But what do we do until then? What do we do while we're going through it? We're to expect the grace. Let's go back to the story of Paul for just a minute. And Paul said at the end of the text that we read, verse number 7 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse, or I'm sorry, yeah, 2 Corinthians 12, down verse 7, he said, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And then in verse 8, 
He makes a statement. Now I want you to remember something before I read this. I want you to remember the Apostle Paul was an apostle. Now I know that sounds real profound. <laughs> meaning he had the apostolic gifts. On one occasion he rose the dead. On more than one occasion. Remember the guy Eutychus fell out of the window. Paul had preached so long. He fell asleep. Can I get an amen? It's dangerous to fall asleep in church. Eutychus fell out of the window. One preacher said, uh, now don't, don't be upset with you. You'd have cussed too if you fell out the window is what he said. <laughs> he died. Paul went and rose him from the dead. So here's a guy that raises the dead by the apostolic gift that God has given to him, but he can't do anything about his own circumstance. So the Bible says in verse 8, concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Three times. This guy, this powerful prayer warrior known as Paul said, God, take it away from me. Please, will you take it away from me? God said no. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Most of us live our lives the exact opposite. I don't mean that as a cutting remark. I'm included in that comment. We try to get to the place where we're less dependent. We try to improve on all the weak areas. We try to get stronger in whatever area it may be that we need to get stronger in. And here's what Paul learned. Paul learned that because of the infirmities that he was handed, he had to rely on God. And that made him stronger because in his weakness, he was more dependent on God. And God could shine through. So God said, my grace is sufficient for you. You want an answer to the afflictions you're going through? You want an answer? God may not give you an answer. But he's doing something. While you're holding on with all your might, exalt him. Don't be worried that it's all about what you've done. Understand he's growing you. And if he will not give you relief from the problem, if he says no, then ask him to give you an abundance of his grace. And you'll keep holding on. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we ask you to bless us, Lord. God, I pray for those who have listened to this message, Lord, whether in this building or online. And I pray, God, if some are getting weak, holding on, that you will strengthen them, that you will help them, that you'll do a great work. And Lord, let us, let us be found faithful. God, I pray that you will encourage your people and bless your people. And if there's one here today that's not saved, I pray they come to know you, Lord. Bless now in Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, what we're about to do, if you are unfamiliar with this part of a service, let me explain to you. We call it an invitation time. And really it's a time that we invite people to come and pray at the altar area or respond in their heart, in their life to a decision that God may be leading them to make. What decisions might that be? Well, 
in some cases, maybe it's you realize that you need Jesus and you've never been born again. And so he wants you to come and find out how to be born again and we can show you. We can answer that question for you today. From the word of God, how to be born again. Or maybe you're here today and you're already saved, but God has expressed to you that he's got you. It's okay for you to just keep hanging on, exalt him. And maybe your prayer today, instead of why God, why? Maybe your prayer today will sound something like, God, are you getting glory out of this? Are you doing in me what your intention is? Am I developing the way you want me to develop? And just spend a little time with him, whether it be in your seat or at the altar today, this altar area is all around the platform we use as a time just to reflect and talk things over with God. I would ask you if you would please all to stand with me if you're able. The invitation's open with heads bowed and eyes closed. You spend a little time with the Lord and we'll dismiss in just a moment.